Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me as always is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, and we love to talk about the latest cars that we've been testing, as well as some news that's been going on. In fact, you can find Ben's work all over the internet. Ben, tell the people where they can find your work. You can find my work at Motor Trend, at Inside Hook, and at Driving Line. And you can find my work at autotrader.ca, as well as Nouveau Magazine and TechSpot. Now, before we get started, Ben, I also want to say thank you to our supporters on Kofi. That is Rob and Dan, very much appreciated, and uh, helps this podcast go because we don't have any ads or sponsors or anything like that. It's Not usually, no. Yeah, and uh, if you want to follow in their footsteps, it's uh, ko-fi.com forward slash unnamed automotive podcast. Is that right, Sammy? That's right. So, Ben, this week I want to throw it off to you because you've had a you've had a pretty cool truck this this past week, right? Well, it's very different from the truck I had the previous week, but it fulfills a similar kind of function. So, last week I drove the TRX, the Ram TRX, which is the Hellcat truck that they created to go up against the Raptor. So this week I'm back in a Ford, but it's not the Raptor. It's something much smaller and fairly different in terms of attitude, and that's the Ranger Tremor, Sammy. Oh, so you're not you're not like everyone else with one of these Bronco Sports? No, Sammy, it's not the Bronco Sport. It's not even related to the Bronco Sport. The Bronco Sport's based on the Escape platform, and while it does have an off-road function, it's not really a hardcore type of vehicle. For and what you're driving right now, this Ranger Tremor, it's it's kind of supposed to maybe be hardcore. But really what it is is a response to what Toyota and Chevrolet have done with the Colorado and the Tacoma. And that's create kind of a package that gives you all of the cool stuff, the gear that you can add to the Ranger in one place. So let me explain. Ford Performance has a really deep catalog for a lot of its vehicles. And the Ranger is one of them. And they have these different levels where you can like level up the Ranger. There's one, two, and three. Some of it includes a power boost for the turbocharged engine. Some of it is a suspension replacement. Um, some of it is accessories, like if you wanted to get a, a winch or extra lighting and all that stuff. And you can order them all together. You can order them separately. It's up to you. But it's kind of cool because it lets you create like an a la carte Ranger that fits your tastes. And you can actually build one that's fairly inexpensive. Uh I remember I did an article for Driving Line where we were trying to build the cheapest, coolest off-road Ranger you could, and we came up Wait, with cheap a... cheap and cool? Is that possible? Yeah, because some people just want to go off-road, and they don't really want any luxury or, you know, um, comfort features. Sometimes when you order a high-end off-road package, you have to get a high-end trim. Like for the Tremor, for example, you have to get an XLT or a Lariat, and you have to get a four-door. There's there's no option for the uh, extended cab. So um, if you wanted to do something different, you could get a Super Cab Ranger XL. Um, you could add up, the, you can add the FX4 package, which is their basic off-road package, and then you add on uh, some of the stuff I mentioned. You can get the, there's a set of Fox shocks that have... Um, I think the uh, Fox 2.0 performance shocks, they have like an external reservoir. Um, and there's a set of, uh, oof, I want to say there's a retune for the springs, but I could be wrong on that. In any case, we put yeah, together. Ben, hold, hold on here. 
you just like I know I'm not even looking at you describe all of these things, but you made me go cross-eyed just thinking about all of these different like combinations and this recipe for a a cool and cheap and off-roady truck. Like yeah, so yeah. We, we basically it it's complicated. It's it's not that complicated. If you wanted to get the Ford Performance Level Two package plus the shocks plus the FX4 package all together, you end mm-hmm. up with a truck that costs like thirty-four grand. And okay. it is a really good off-road truck, and that's pretty much all it's going to do. Like, you don't get a bunch of fancy stuff inside. You get a truck that's going to be fun to bash around on the trail. Now, if you don't well, want to I mean, do any of that... Stand- but that's the standard interior of a of a Ranger anyways, right? I'm sorry? That's the standard interior of a Ranger anyways. I don't. Do any of the Rangers get better interior packaging? Yeah, I think the Lariat's a, a leather package, which oh, you wouldn't have great. on an XLT truck. But uh, <laughs> if you don't want to... If you, if you have your attitude, which is surprisingly hostile... And you don't want to do everything I just mentioned and actually open up Ford Performance Catalog and order these parts. The Tremor package takes almost everything from the Ford Performance Catalog uh, except for the um, Turbo Boost. It doesn't. It, you, you stay with 270 horsepower and 310 pound, pound feet of torque from that Turbo Four. You also don't get the Sport exhaust. You don't get the winch, and you don't get the light bar. But you do get the suspension. You get which gives you a bit of a lift. And you get some other off-road-esque goodies to go with it. And you get the, a locking rear differential, electronically locking from inside the cabin. Okay. Uh, and that's their, you know, answer to the Tacoma and to the, the Tacoma TRD Pro and the Colorado ZR2. So well, the ZR2, I, But the ZR2 is like, that's high-end to me. Like, that, ha- that has a, a very bespoke suspension system. Um, it feels... Fantastic, both on road and off road, and I yeah, think that's I part mean, of its appeal, right? It's it's cheaper though than the TRD Pro. TRD Pro is like forty seven grand. Yeah, I don't and, know. I don't know how they pulled that off. Yeah, <laughs> they have buyers very, who will spend any amount of money if it has the name Toyota Tacoma. Because you can get like a, a TRD off road truck, right? Like you right. Can, you don't have to get like you don't have to go to Pro right away. So the, they, the they, TRD they, Am essentially. So yeah, and it's. It's I've made kind that of, joke like four times on the podcast. Nobody ever laughs. No, because we're all just kind of humoring you when you do it. <laughs> I <know. laughs> But okay, uh, there's, a, there's a TRD Sport as well. Like TRD is like really – I think the cheapest, cheapest TRD Pro is like 44 uh, before delivery. And it ends up being like just under 50 grand. So like the ZR2 is cheaper than that. And this the Ranger Tremor – let me double check the price because it's not super cheap. But it's not super expensive. Um it's forty two, so okay. you're about you're about five six thousand dollars less than a TRD Pro. I think you're in the same neighborhood as a Colorado. If you get the cheapest Colorado ZR2, like if you get one that's extended cab and no no um, fancy stuff at all, which you can actually do. So the Tremor, you can't do that. You can't get a base Tremor. It doesn't exist. It's it's XLT. So uh, they're not really apples to oranges, but it's all in the same kind of like. Forty thousand to forty-eight thousand dollar mark. If you really want to spend a ton of money on a mid-sized truck that goes off-road, okay. And does it go off-road? I mean, that's the most important question. Does this car, does this truck, manage to do the thing it's supposed to do? Yes and no. That's a problem. That second part, very big problem. It's Usually it's not the, that it, the conversation should end with a yes, not and something else. I want to say that all Rangers can go off road. Yeah. Like if you get the FX4 package Ranger, it's going to go off road, and you're going to do fine. Uh, if I remember correctly, when you, t- I think you were on one of the drive programs of the Ranger. Am I mistaken? Yeah, I was, and and, and we they, did some. They went we some did off. off. Yeah. 
Yeah, we did off-roading, and it, I, we had no issues. Where the Tremor really kind of steps up over the FX4 is not just the suspension stuff that I mentioned, the Fox shocks and the retuned um, chassis, and it also has uh, some increased hardening at the points where the shocks attach to the chassis itself. But you also get a set of tires, I think they're 32-inch, uh, and they're very, you know, it's it's knobby all-terrain off-road stuff, and that's really important when you start dealing with mud and rocks. Right. So that's going to be a step up over what you get with an FX4. But the reason I say no is because... I think some people think that this is the equivalent of a ra- of a Raptor in Ranger form, and it's not. It's not a high speed truck that you're going to be able to smash through obstacles and bounce around and do all sorts of like you know hardcore high speed desert running things. It's really the equivalent of a TRD Pro, and I'm I'm going to separate it from the the ZR2 because I find that the ZR2 is a much more controlled vehicle on road and off than right. either the Ranger or the Toyota. And a lot of that is the DSSV suspension that you mentioned. I think it's an excellent uh, setup for transitioning from on-road to off-road. It's really unique in, in the segment. Uh, and the Ranger with the Fox shocks that come with the Tremor package, I mean, you get a lot more... Tr- you, you, you get a decent travel improvement over the FX4, but on the road, it's still squishy in a way that all off-road trucks are squishy. And... It doesn't the the Rangers taken a lot of heat for being a really bouncy platform to begin with. I don't know if you've um kept up with any of that chatter for people who own the Ranger. Mm-hmm. These shocks help with that because they're softer on the road than what you would normally have. So it's a very rigid truck, but it's somewhat uh attenuated by the Fox shocks. But when you get off-road, I found that it felt very similar to a TRD Pro or the FX4 just in terms of it, it's not a very controlled experience. Like uh, I went on a, uh, I guess you call it a hydro access road. It's a very muddy trail. It's got a lot of ruts and a lot of mud. And some of the water is fairly deep. And the truck going through the ruts, it has no problem doing it. And we kept speeds around, I would say 15 miles an hour, probably a little bit lower than that, just to keep our momentum going. And when you do that, the rear end is all over the place. Like it is responding to the uneven terrain and you have to keep in mind that it is going to slide out on you it's going to bounce up and it's just something you have to plan for and that's you know it's no different than the toyota in that sense but it's very different from the chevrolet okay um now i'm gonna i'm going to try to recall some things that i know about these tacomas uh these trd uh products if i remember correctly they have a feature called crawl control which is a I suppose a, a sort of like uh, traction control system that works both uphill and downhill to help the vehicle sort of maintain stability or ma- momentum uh, or, or overcome being stuck in some way or another. Um, are there any fancy technologies that help in the tremor? Yeah, the, the Ranger has a tr- has something called trail control, which is so it's it's a low speed traction control, and it's funny. I've I've used them back to back with the Toyota, and the Toyota one is super noisy. Like it, it makes all these crazy creaking noises while you're using it. And the Ford one is is much smoother, but it's not something that you would use on the kind of trail I was on. It's something you would use on a rocky trail, especially if you're going downhill and you wanted to be able to focus on picking your marks and hitting the right spots with the front wheels, and not so much worry about throttle control. Now, you've said this in the past about hill descent control, that it's like a bit of a gimmick. Yeah, it's, it is, it it is it's, for me, it's always feel that way. Yeah. It's always been a question of, do I want to go off-roading or do I want to play a video game that's like off-roading? So if you're going to be doing it all day and you don't want to be super tired at the end of the day, I can understand where crawl control comes in. 
But for me, it's not something I'm super interested in. But it also doesn't apply to the off-roading that I did. Because if you were to lock the vehicle into crawl control and try to go through some mud, there's a strong chance you would get stuck. Because you need to have momentum in order to get in and out of the muddy spots on a muddy, rutted trail. Uh, One of the things that really impressed me about the Ranger off-road, though, was there was a section of trail where I came into... It was a corner... And there were two different ways around it. And in the middle, it was kind of like a grassy berm. And on both sides, there was water. And I kept the I kept the left side of the truck on the grass uh, when I entered into the water. But the truck, the left side of the truck came up on the grass. And it pulled it so that I was at an angle in the water where the front of the truck was, you know, the, the front up to the middle of the grill was submerged. And I couldn't go forward anymore. And I had trouble going backwards because the truck wouldn't go up over the berm. It was directly behind it. So at that point, I had been using – it has something called terrain management, which is a way of attenuating the throttle, transmission, four-wheel drive system to deal with certain types of terrain. And since it was in mud, I had it set to mud. And I wasn't getting anywhere forwards or backwards. I could move a little bit, but I couldn't really get out of where I was. So what I did was I put the truck in four low which removes all traction control. Mm-hmm. And once that happened, the tires were able to grab in the front and pull the truck forward. I was able to get off the berm. I couldn't mm-hmm. go forward out of the water that I was in because it was a little too deep and the truck didn't want to push. So I just straightened it out and backed out and I had no problems. And I found that to be pretty impressive. Uh, just the truck allowed me to strategize my way out of the situation I'd gotten into. Mm-hmm. And it did it in a very non-dramatic fashion. Like all of this happened at a very low rate of speed. And I didn't need to, um, you know, be, slam on the gas or like spin the wheels a crazy amount to get where I was. The, the four-wheel drive system and the tires worked together to grip and pull me out of there. Nice. So that sounds pretty promising, actually, in, in some ways. Because... I think some people imagine I, – I mean in my experience, I've always had low – slow sort of slow or low speed um, off-roading. I've never done the sort of really quick stuff. I've only done it a, a little bit in a, in a – I think a Grand Cherokee. And to me that um, the the low the slower stuff can be a little bit like jerky and it can catch you off guard. So, yeah, and that's what that's what happened with the Ranger, especially with the suspension setup. It is not a smooth, slow off roader. Like in this, in the way that the much much heavier TRX is, or the the similarly sized ZR2. Right. Like it's this is a stiff truck. It's going to bounce around on the trail, and you're going to have to deal with that, even if you're driving slowly. Cool. Um, now, does this mean it has a place in the segment of, of these off road mid sized trucks? That's tricky, Sammy, because. As you know, there's things about the Ranger that neither of us like. No. Uh, the interior that you were mentioning before, I mean, have at it. Tell us what the problem is. It's low rent. It feels like decades old now. It, it feels it does like it's feel... built from a, a different design language where Ford didn't have the sort of reputation that it has now, which I think yeah. is much more re- refined. Yeah, it's it's a truck that was brought in from an international market, and it's, it's I think, maybe a decade old in terms of its design. And the interior really didn't get the attention it deserved. And that's when you're paying like $42,000 for a truck. See, that's why I liked building the, you know, for performance version of the truck. Because you're like $10,000 cheaper. It doesn't feel as bad at that price point. But compared to the Toyota isn't great inside, but it does feel better. And the the Chevrolet is much better. So uh, Ford is coming. And there are other options like the Ridgeline. I know that nobody really considers that a real truck. But the Ridgeline is not an interior. But the Ridgeline's not an off-roader. 
So, no. like, I don't see it entering this conversation. If the ridgeline had been on the trail I was on, it would have gotten stuck and it would have gotten body damage because it does not have the lift required to deal with the ruts I was in. All I right. would have been dragging the unibody the entire time. Um, but uh, the other thing about the truck that is kind of weird for me is the 10-speed automatic transmission. Oh, uh, I, I like the, interesting to me. Well, I like the horsepower from the Turbo 4. I think it works yeah. well. I think it's a relatively quick truck, but if you're driving around at a normal speed, there's a kind of a hesitancy and a weird, I don't know, it's a strange feeling under the throttle where it feels like the transmission doesn't know what to do. And uh, I, I don't want to use the word slip. I'm trying to figure out how to describe it, but it just feels like it's at a reg- if, if you're cruising around at 35 miles an hour and you dip mm-hmm. into the fuel, there's like a vibration through the driveline that comes from the transmission. And that's something that I've noticed in every single Ranger I've ever driven, whether it's a Tremor or not. And the thing that was specific to the Tremor was when I was going around corners, it felt like the like on a city street, I'm talking slow speed, 90 degree corner from a stop. It felt like the rear end was crabbing a little bit. And I... I I had the rear end unlocked the entire time I was doing that. Maybe that's a function of the tires. I don't know. But it's just not as smooth as I wanted it to be. I used to think that the powertrain was one of the highlights of the Ranger, with the low light being the ride on the road, being absolutely really stiff, really uncomfortable, um, and probably better suited for towing or hauling than driving around un, like unloaded. Yeah, so, I, think you're, I think you're right about that, and I think a lot of Ranger owners agree with you. So, uh, I, I mean, I just don't think there there was a lot going for this. But now we have it in this off-road situation, this off-road setup. But you brought up probably the most important part of the conversation, which is you can outfit a Ranger with as much off as much off-road, you know, capability through the through the performance catalog. What do you think? Almost as much. Okay, I would say almost as much. And, and I, feel, I feel like that's actually a bit common for ford's you know performance catalog i think that if you wanted to get a like say you wanted an ecoboost mustang you could probably make yourself a better performance version of that ecoboost or even a v8 um through the through the the performance catalog than the regular trim levels in some cases and and speaking strictly for the trucks you can't do this with the colorado and you can't do it with the tacoma it, sorry the, the the tacoma trd you can do some stuff with with the tacoma yeah but it's not nearly as deep and chevrolet forget it it's really hard to upgrade almost everything in chevrolet's performance catalog for the colorado is for the zr2 specifically <laughs> Which makes See, no sense. you have to already start with the zr2 so I, I think it's great that Ford is offering this kind of a la carte customization. I don't know how many people know about it, but it is something that works really well with the Ranger. So if you're dead set on getting a Ranger, I don't know if you need the Tremor. I don't know if you need to spend the extra money. I think if you want to go off-road, you can do it cheaper and have just as much fun with the parts catalog. And of course, this doesn't even take into consideration the aftermarket, right? So that's something to consider as well. Absolutely. Anything else you want to add about the uh, Tremor, this Ranger Tremor? Do you, no, first I think- of all, the nameplate is familiar, right? Yeah, it's, I mean, we had a Tremor on the show, I want to say in the fall, and that was, or no, the summer of 2020, and that was the Ford uh, F-150 or F-250 Tremor, which was an enormous truck. I mean, like, absolutely huge. Uh, That had a diesel, and uh, it was similar in its off-road approach, but not nearly as focused as the Ranger, I don't think. So is this their new off-road branding, Tremor? I think so because I mean Raptors for the for you know the Baja trucks and then Tremor I guess is going to be for the stuff that doesn't go quick. Do you imagine? And, and, sorry. 
Well, I was going to say also, we're getting a new Ranger soon. I think 2022. So yeah. it's nice to have for Ford to have something like the Tremor that they can just pop into the showroom and kind of spruces things up and makes you forget that it's an older truck. I'd be really impressed if they do manage to bring out a, a strong um, new generation Ranger because Ford has been... This this might sound weird, but like like Ford has been putting out a couple of new cars recently. I mean, last year I think we had the new Escape. This year we have uh, we have the F one fifty and the Mach E and the Bronco, um, and the Ranger. In addition to that, I mean that seems like a pretty a pretty revitalized um, product portfolio uh, for the whole brand. And I think that's really that's really you know if they can execute on all of those products to the same degree, because I think people are pretty impressed with. The Maki are pretty impressed with the um, F one fifty and the advancements they made with the powertrain and the packaging that to be able to bring that much more innovation to another another model like the Ranger would be pretty impressive. So I'm kind of I don't I don't think they they'll be able to pull it off to that extent, but if they do, that'd be pretty cool. Well, I mean, part uh, don't forget too that something that's driving this revitalization of the lineup is because the lineup was slashed when they removed all their cars right yeah no fiesta no focus no um no fusion, fusion nothing. no c-max i don't know if the c-max is called oh, I, haven't, or whatever. I haven't thought about the c-max in a long time <laughs> uh, um, what about the taurus i think that's gone to only the Mustang. Gone, yeah this the, any any of those vehicles you just mentioned if you see one on a lot it's it's a leftover it's a 2020 right. so uh so they have to do something to you know keep the product flowing and the product's flowing from the crossover side right uh, and, and truck side, and if I remember correctly, the Bronco is related to the Ranger in some way or another. No, right? it's the Escape. It's an Escape platform. We, no, that's the Bronco Sport. The so the regular yeah, Bronco, the real Bronco. I have no idea. The 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 RB. I don't know what to call it. Um, RB. Yeah, that's that's the RB. That's the and RB, there's going to be twenty six Bronco. There's going to be twenty six of them. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, anything else you want to add about the Ranger? No, I think I'm good. Do you want to – I'm really impressed with all of your off-roading. You know, it, I'm eager to hear what your um, impressions are when other vehicles t- take that trail as well. I mean, you know, there are some new – there's some, been some news about uh, electric Wranglers, for example, and, and other features – other vehicles like that. We sh- and not to mention the Bronco Sport has become pretty available for us to test drive. We should definitely uh, hear your thoughts on how that will do uh, in those conditions too. Moving right along. Yeah. So this week, uh, I want to talk to you about the Nissan Kicks. It has been refreshed this year, which is uh, an interesting thing to say because the last Nissan Kicks was actually pretty well liked by enthusiasts in some way or another. Uh, yeah, I mean, we we love it on the show, right? Like this is the Kicks is our favorite subcompact crossover. In a world where I have to have a favorite subcompact crossover, it is the Kicks. And I mean, that's important to say because there are approximately um, 45 billion subcompact crossovers on the market right now. And for one car, and typically the most affordable um, crossover in the segment to be, the one that captures your heart, it has to do something really special. And the Kicks manages that by being just um, exactly what it needs to be at that price point. It doesn't... Uh, it doesn't try to sort of suggest that it's a luxurious or high end. It is spacious. It is peppy. I think is the most important way to describe it. It is very, light. It is lightweight too. And it's right, lightweight. So. This is what we liked about the last one. 
when we get the the refreshed version, we see that it has a new a new exterior design and a, and a whole new interior design as well. Um, and Nissan has put a little bit more um, thought into refinement of the cabin and powertrain. And those are two things that maybe those enthusiasts that found the, the kicks um, to be fun might be worried about. So I had to drive this thing and figure out what what happened um, between last year and this year. So spill it, spill the beans. Okay, first of all, the exterior design is much more modernized looking. It does, um, it, it looks closer to the Rogue now than it used to, which I think is a, an important design element because all of Nissan's uh, crossovers have been getting a, a refresh or a redesign. And now for the kicks to get to be placed in that same category, it looks like it's part of the family. I think that's important. It um, is important, especially with, you know, what has traditionally been a low-buck ver- uh, vehicle for Nissan. Yeah. To see them investing in it is good. I mean, sometimes sometimes the lower end of the lineup can just languish forever. I, I remember the, the Chevrolet Sonic was a great hatchback when it came out. And I want to say 2014, 2013, I don't know, somewhere mm. around there. And then it just never changed. Like it was, they, yeah. they completely forgot about it, and it, stu- it stayed stuck, and it was still good for its time. But all the other cars in its segment kind of pushed past it, and it's nice to see a company not falling into that trap. There is one small thing I really don't like about the exterior is that it has a tail light bar, like you know, a, a bar that connects the two tail lights, which I think is becoming a little too common in the in the industry. I think a, a few automakers are are playing this trick on on everybody. And, you mean it's like a light bar? Yeah, yeah. Didn't I just say that? Tail you said light it was. A, you said it was a bar. Tail you light bar. A, there's an actual term. There's an actual design term for that. The connected tail light. Yes. And uh, I cannot remember what it is, but <laughs> I saw useful. no. <laughs> Thanks, unnamed automotive trivia podcast where we tell you the trivia, but won't tell you the actual story of it next. Until it's next it's week. because <laughs> there was a, I saw a Twitter post on it uh, a couple days ago, so it's fresh in my mind. It's a German word, oh. and and uh, I I absolutely well, I mean, cannot remember. That's worth mentioning. I mean, I think old BMWs used to have that like bar that that went across the width of the tail of the vehicle, and I think you're seeing it with you've you've seen it on Chargers, for example. Um, it, it's it just seems like it's being kind of played out. It's, but. it's called a heck blend, H E C K E B L E N D E, and it, it's you know you used to see it on cars dating all the way back to the '60s. I mean, the Thunderbird had it in in '67, '68, but I remember you know in the in the '80s and the early '90s, I think it was on the Honda Accord and a lot of the Nissan sedans of that yeah. day, and also the Toyota Camry. And now it's making a comeback on budget vehicles like the Kicks. Perfect. I also need to add they've updated they've upped the price a bit on the kicks and it will start in the US for about $20,000 which I don't think is as budget friendly as it used to be. Was it 17 before? I think around 18, yeah. Okay. And I also need to bring this up because um you and I both live in Canada and for a long time <laughs> for a long time Nissan offered a very affordable vehicle called the Micra for $10,000. That is no longer being offered to Canadians, and they might be pushed to get a Versa, which is not a very um, personable vehicle, or a <laughs> Kicks, which as well now has doubled that price. So, so the, the the Micro was great. It's too bad that it's gone. It was fun to drive. It was an honest vehicle, and it was a hell of a value. The best thing about the Micro is that the spirit of it is was found in the Kicks. So let's talk about the way the the, the Kicks drives. 
Um, it still uses a 1.6 liter four cylinder engine. It has 122 horsepower and 114 pound feet of torque. And in the U.S., it's only offered with a CVT transmission. All of these sound, yeah, all of these sound pretty. Um, like they say, they sound like a deal breaker. I think is the best way to say it. But again, Nissan has managed to keep the 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 weight of this vehicle around 2,700 pounds, which is really impressive for a crossover. I think I'm, I'm listening. Yeah, and because it has that CVT, it feels like the power band, the, the the engine is always in that peak power band or torque band, and it feels like it's always driving on the edge, and that's what makes it feel kind of fun to drive. Wait a minute, so you start that car, you rev it up, Nissan kicks, and you're you're ready to step across the edge, Sammy, step over the edge as you're... soon as you hit the road? Is that what you're saying? It's constantly, you're saying that the Nissan kicks is like, the burned out cop in the buddy movie who like doesn't know where the limits are That's and his exactly partner has to reel yeah. him in. Yeah. You've gone too far kicks. Um, That's exactly it's, it's, it's like, he's the, he's the Bobrovsky of the, uh, <laughs> the automotive segment. Um, it Turn is, in your badge kicks. It is. Um, it is so easy to, to get this thing to that, uh, to that power band to let it get going. Sure. It's not super fast, but it feels really energetic and the suspension is surprisingly um, communicative, I think is the best way to describe it. It's not floaty. It doesn't kind of have a ton of body roll. It just manages to make you feel what's going on on the road. Now, the biggest detriment to all of this is the steering, which I think is a little um, dead or numb feeling. But the rest of the car, as I said, for about $20,000 and fully loaded about $25,000 – um, is pretty well done. Now, where they really Im- they really picked up the the sort of level is with the cabin. I think they were surprised by how many people kind of liked what was going on with the kicks, but didn't like the sort of low rent cabin. So they, I don't know how they managed it, but they they redesigned the 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 sort of dash and the center console as well as gave the vehicle a uh, an armrest, which I think is pretty important for um, budget vehicles like this. And it feels much more. It, it feels much less like a budget vehicle. So I think that's important to say. But as I mentioned, pricing has gone up and you know, I guess this is what we're expect we, we should be expecting now about 20, for a $20,000 car. This is it's now at that standard um, both inside and out and it's still pretty fun to drive. So do you when you talked about it being on the edge before, I just want to go back to that. Oh, is okay. that because of how the drivetrain felt or is that because there was like no sound deadening and it just oh, sounded yeah. like it, it, there is zero sound deadening. That must be how they managed to keep the weight um, so low because you hear the motor, you hear the transmission whining away, you hear everything that's going on with the tires, you hear the wind noise. Everything you do with this car is accompanied by some um, really d- d- ugly you, soundtrack. You like can use the, the word deranged. Is that what you were going to say? Deranged soundtrack. It really, you really have to have the uh, the mental capacity to hear this noise. Throughout your whole commute. Okay. Wow. Okay. I mean, that paints a very different picture of the kicks from how you described it before. You're like, Nissan put some money into the kicks, but better bring some (laughs) earplugs. So, okay. I'll I'll admit that they they have also tried to um, accommodate this issue because you can get a pretty well-rounded infotainment system. I, I think there's a... There's a like sound system that has a speaker in the headrest of the driver's seat. So basically, you drown out the sound of all of this crap with your own audio, um, be it your you know satellite or FM radio or Bluetooth or whatever it is. So you have a way to sort of um, get over that. 
So do you get any of Nissan's advanced uh, self-driving technologies or semi-autonomous driving technologies like ProPilot Assist? Wow, I would have never guessed of all things you would be asking that. I thought you hated those kind of nannies. I'm just trying to give our audience the information they need to make a solid decision about the kicks. And after your comment about just how deranged it sounds, I thought I would steer the podcast in a more objective direction. So, yes, you do get um, the cruise control and the lane keeping and stuff like that. It's not nearly as – it's not like ProPilot Assist. It's more uh, like bro pilot assist. It's more like it's more of a it's a it's a slightly bro take eyes on the road, bro. I will admit it, it is pretty cool that it comes as standard equipment across all of the all of the models. You get uh, automatic braking in the front and rear. You got pedestrian detection for that automatic emergency braking. You've got lane departure warning. You've got blind spot monitoring. Um, you've got rear parking um, sensors like sonar. And rear cross-traffic alert, which is pretty handy I mean, as well. This is also probably why it costs $2,000 more than it used to, right? Right. I think that's uh, a major part of the um, the the equation here. Um, some of the people – you know, with this, with this sort of um, focus on safety equipment, some people might be wondering if they dealt with the drum brakes that were offered on the last model, which, which offered drum brakes and I think the, the bass trims uh, in the rear. And no, this car still has drum rear drums. So fifty percent of the cars I own have rear drum brakes. <laughs> and how just do you gonna feel put about that out there? How, how does what? that make you feel? I'm completely okay with it. Do you think everyone would be okay with it? I one of those cars is a track car, <laughs> and I have absolutely zero need to change from drum brakes in the back because I think they only do like ten percent of my braking. So exactly. honestly, the only problem I have with drum brakes is they are so annoying to service. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's that's pretty much it. Um, as long as they're not in the front, I think you're going to be fine. So, I mean, I think that's, that is really worth saying here is that the car is front heavy. It actually has a weight distribution of about 6139 front to rear. Wow. So, and that's before you're sitting in it. <laughs> yes, that is before I'm fake. Before, and before you put your, uh, your, your, uh, your car lashes on. Yeah. <laughs> hey, don't talk <laughs> about how I... I uh, accessorize my cars with those car lashes. Accessorize. Um, that is a bold word, Sammy. Uh, what are, are car lashes universally hated by everyone except for the person who puts them on the car? Oh, or do un- they know? unquestionably. No, you don't know. Like, it's... Do, the, the, do the people who put the car lashes on know that they're bad? Car lashes are like the equivalent of permanent makeup. <laughs> where like, you think it's a really good idea and none of your friends will tell you it's not. You know, like it's the, no one. No one loves you enough to be like, we need to intervene here. Yeah, I mean, and then you, a stranger peels them off while it's parked. And you know what? It's it's also important to talk that the kicks, the kicks replaced the juke, which I think was a car lash hero of some of some kind. I think they had a lot of car lashes on them. Definitely a personal hero of mine. Shout out to the so, juke. That's a problem, right? That uh, we no longer get the juke, and instead we get the. Uh, kicks. Yeah, but I, I don't think like if the kicks didn't exist, we'd still have the juke. I don't, I don't think it's like I don't think the juke would have been like left to languish in the same way I described those other SUVs as and and hatchbacks as languishing. I think the juke was something weird that had its day, and the Nissan was like, whoa! It's like Nissan woke up after a bender. Like it's like Monday morning. They're like, hey, what'd we do over the weekend? Oh no! And then they just had this juke in the lineup, and they they finally got rid of it. I mean. We don't – so this is important because we have listeners across the world. Um, the, juke is still available. The, the juke is still available in other markets. We just don't get it anymore. We get the kicks, which is – Same with the Micra. Yeah, the Micra. And the Micra even got 
a nice improvement in terms of its design and um, and refinement. So, would you prefer a stylish kicks in the form of the juke? I mean, if you want to call that thing stylish, um, or would you like something a little bit more conservative, lightweight, um, and and you know, sort of practical in the kick? I'm team yeah. juke all the way, but I I think I don't know if these two vehicles actually compete against each other. Well, I mean, they don't. They don't sell them in the same market. No, but because I think that the Kicks uh, is, like you said, it's a more practical choice, and it was a more affordable choice, too. I miss the Juke. I really do. And I think it's really sad that a car that received so much attention from the automaker in the form of a turbocharged, a a really cool 1.6-liter turbocharged engine at the time, um, a manual transmission. You could have gotten it. You could have got front and all-wheel drive, which you can't get in in the Kicks at all. And let's be uh, honest, there's never going to be a Nismo Kicks. Yeah, exactly, right? And if they will, will it and if there is, will it ever be up to the the bizarre wacky standard that the the juke was? <laughs> It'll never live up to the wacky standards of my own mind. I mean, that's that's clear. <laughs> I mean, if you I don't know if you remember the seats that were in the Nismo Juke were out of this world. They were insane. They they shouldn't have existed. They were so they were like race seats. They were there so was, bucketed. They were so there was bolstered. someone who who brought a non Nismo Juke to the racetrack near my house on a regular basis, and it was actually it was like a, just like a regular turbo, and it was pretty quick. I know. So it, it is a sad thing that we no longer get that experience, even with a with a kicks, and I don't think it would ever happen. That's the problem, right? So. You know, we pour one out for the Juke. We think the Kicks is a pretty good car, but I think when I when I when I think back to the Juke, the Kicks doesn't measure up. And, I think and that I think as, that's a problem. as much as we'd never get a Nismo Kicks, I think there's room for a Nismo Micra. But we the Micra isn't sold in North America anymore. No, I'm saying like in other markets. In other markets, yeah, totally. I mean that that was what the car was all about: lightweight, um, easy to drive, easy, easy and fun to drive with. You know, good suspension and and steering. It was it was a an easy car to live with and enjoy. Anything else you want to ask me about the Juke? No, I was just kick? reminiscing about the Micra. I'm sorry, well, I got really caught enough. So, of all of these, you know, these nameplates that have come and gone, which is funny because I think the Micra was around for like two or three years. When was it introduced in the Canadian market? Well, the thing is, there used to be a Micra in the 80s and the 90s, right? That right. we got. So, like, when I was a kid, the micro badge was imprinted on my mind. But back then, it was a truly terrible vehicle. Like, it's not – it's not – in that era, small cars – and I mean small, small cars – they didn't receive the same level of, of attention as they do now from automakers. They were really, like, just a dumping ground for the cheapest possible parts to get people from A to B. And so a lot of those cars didn't last very long. They were penalty boxes to drive. And when you saw them on the street, it was like, oh, this micro is like it, – it, it, like it was like a cone of shame that you wore around your neck <laughs> when, you, when you walked away from the micro. But um, the, the reason – I don't know. It, it's weird. When I'm in traffic today and I'm behind a modern micro, I have this thought. It's like I should pick up one of those. And I'm like, and then I have this other thought, you have no need for this car. <laughs> it does not fit into any aspect of your lifestyle. It does, you don't, th- there's no reason for you to purchase it. But part of my mind is like, it wa- I want to support the idea of like a fun to drive, super cheap subcompact. Mm-hmm. And the micro is the perfect encapsulation of that. It doesn't have 
any of the complications like the Fiat 500 where it was super unreliable and just weird. And it's not, it doesn't have the cost of a, of a mini, which is no longer a subcompact, but back when they were, you right. know, is the micro was just like a really honest, straightforward, like the Chevy Spark. I like the Chevy Spark too. I don't think you could get a manual in Canada. I don't remember, but you could get a manual at the micro. So it, it's, it's a car that I'm predisposed to like, even though I have no need for it. I mean, look, we have to add to the to the micro conversation. First of all, it was first offered in Canada here, in, or lately in 2014. So I like was, the idea that there's a micro conversation, and that no, the, it a, is a it larger is, consciousness, is a larger micro micro conversation. <laughs> so much so that it used to be there was a a Nissan sponsored racing event that occurred here in Canada, specifically yeah, for the micro. micro cup, micro cup. I think it's Versa Cup now, if I'm not wrong. I think Sentra. I think Sentra, Sentra, which is a bigger vehicle than the much Versa. bigger. And now we no longer have that, and we don't have what the Micro was. We don't have which is you know, and, and same with the kicks and the Juke. I, I just think that we're we're going through these these vehicles and these experiences so quickly. Maybe I'm just getting old, and I'm missing these things. <laughs> we should also mention that um, the Unnamed Automotive Podcast sponsored one of those micro race cars, Sammy. Have you right. forgotten that? I didn't forget that. We, that's uh, one, where Keisha, we got the logo, you, too. Remember that? Yeah, the, the, the logo that you see on the podcast now was created for the sponsorship stickers for Keishi Ayuke's car, which he's an Australian driver, and he was in Canada for the series and we were honored to be able to work out a sponsorship agreement with him and have our sticker on our decals on his vehicle for uh, a number of events so that was a fun that was a fun part of uh the the podcast past and kind of something i think that will always link us to the micro absolutely so um ben why don't we um why don't we close up this old podcast what do you say Close it up. I like how it sound. You make it sound like an open wound. (laughs) All right, suture this podcast. Suture and disinfect the podcast. Yes. And the way we do that is we tell people how they can uh, get in touch with us because you know we've said a lot of bizarre and outlandish things, and we want to hear what your opinions are and if they contrast with ours or meet them in any way or form. Right, Ben? Sure. That was convoluted way of saying we'd love to hear from you. You can do that easily by going to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. And once you're there, there's a contact button at the top of the website. You click on that, you fill it out, and we'll get your message in our inbox. It's that easy. Additionally, you can email us the old-fashioned way. It's Ben at what? What is it? It's, no, Benjamin it's actually at Benjamin, not, yeah. At BenjaminHunting.com. Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. Or you can reach out to us on social media. You'll find me on Twitter. I'm at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. And you can find Ben on Instagram. He's at Hunting Benjamin. You almost call it a cesspool. I heard you. I heard you hesitate. (laughs) Uh, If you want to hear old, old episodes, previous episodes, I shouldn't say old. I mean, I guess we've been doing this for four years now. So this is episode 221. So if you want to hear 200 episodes of us doing what we just did, uh, but talking about different cars, you can do that at unnamedautomotivepodcast.com as well. You can listen right on the site, but you can also subscribe using your favorite podcaster. We are everywhere. Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, Apple, Google. Um, I think we're even on uh, CastBox. Pretty much every podcatcher has a named automotive podcast. If you want to search for us, you'll find us where you listen to your other fine podcasts. And one more time, we'll throw it to our Kofi page. That's ko-fi.com slash unnamed automotive podcast. If you want to support what we do, 
just head on over there and uh, buy us a coffee or a, a part of a tank of gas or, you know, whatever. Or some braces for Sammy. I don't know what we're <laughs> going to do with it, but we're going to keep the lights on uh, at the hosting company. That's for sure. Uh, Sammy, what are you going to be driving next week? Next week, I've got the brand new Infiniti QX55 to drive. Wow. I, I'm going to be driving the 2021 BMW M5 competition. What? Really? Yeah, and you know what's funny though? It's it, you, you add competition. I, I looked. You can only buy the competition now or the CS. So there's no regular M5 anymore. So BMW is really up the stakes with the M5, and uh, I'm going to be telling you all about it. So basically, whenever the the phrase competition comes, it means that the regular version of the car has been murdered. I I, I didn't want to go that dark, yeah. but maybe yes. All right, I can't wait to talk to you about it next week. Take care. I, Bye, everybody. Bye.